Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read this first from uh, verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or in regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Now, I'm going to stop there. If you haven't been, been with us as we've studied the book of Colossians, that feels like we're just coming out of nowhere. There's a therefore, and everywhere that there's a therefore, Ed Wharton used to like to say there's a... Before I was waiting for the sunset student over here to, to answer that one for us. Because uh, he would always do that. Wherever there's a therefore, you got to look before. And so that's what you did. That's, pretty, that's how he said it, isn't it? And, and it's true. Whenever you see a therefore, you need to know what's ahead of that. So if we've looked at that and studied that. But if you weren't here, he is dealing with false teachers uh, of various types. Some who trend toward legalism and traditionalism. Some who trend toward uh, Gnosticism and asceticism. We'll get into what that means. Don't worry about it. But the ideas that they're putting forth are things that undermine the gospel itself. Uh, it, it's a lot of on both sides. It's, it's buying into rule following and performance over here. And over here it's, it's a whole different wackadoo set of rules in some cases. And in other cases, just really oddball philosophies that undermine who Jesus really is and our understanding of him and what that means the church is to be and a Christian is supposed to be. So he's dealing with that. And he's warned them about all of that. And he's about to wrap up all of his warnings. But he starts by saying, Therefore, since we know that these people are not telling us the truth, and since we know we need to get back into what the truth about who Jesus is and what that means about who we are, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or what you drink or with regard to a religious festival, a Newman celebration, or a Sabbath day. These, and he's talking on that part about... The Judaizers, that's the group that wants everybody to keep the laws and the traditions of the Old Testament, keep those old festivals and everything else, not as a sense of um, showing respect and, and, and keeping some traditions. Paul did some of that, carryovers of the old law, kept, made a vow along with some other young Christian men. Uh, that, that wasn't the point. It's, it's when you are doing those things because you think you must in order to please God when you think you're still under that covenant, and when you bind them on people who were never even a part of the law of Moses, Gentile Christians in the Colossian case, and you're trying to say, if I had to do it, you have to do it. And if I have to keep this law, you have to keep this law. And it's, it's just that sort of a problem. And so there were people, uh, Jewish Christians, coming into the church and saying, well, if we've had to do these things for all our lives, these new Gentile Christians ought to have to do them too. He says, these... These old traditions and even parts of the law of Moses are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. He said, those things were just to point you to Jesus. He's already come. You don't need those things anymore. You don't keep offering sacrifices and you don't keep celebrating uh, some of these old festivals, not because they were bad, but because they simply have run their course. That has come and that has gone. And in Jesus Christ, you no longer need to worry about all of those old laws and in keeping that in the way that they did. And don't let anybody try to bring that stuff back on you again. We'll come back to that. Do not let anyone who delights... This is kind of the other group over here. Don't let anybody who delights in false humility and worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person is puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it 
to grow. It's kind of neat because buried in this beware of this and beware of that, he says now, he kind of puts in here, it's in italics up there, here's what you need to remember. These were a shadow. The reality is found in Christ. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The Hebrew writer would say the same thing, wouldn't he? Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In verse 19, they've lost connection with the head. He says, that's the problem. But in Jesus, everything is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews as God causes it to grow. He's talking about the body of Christ and our spiritual life. That everything that we need to be a part of God's kingdom and His work and His family, everything we need is found in Jesus. And He's the one who's going to cause all that to grow and to work. It's not going to be your performance. It's not going to be you dancing the right dance. It's going to be Jesus. He's the answer to all of those questions. And, and that's what he's having to reestablish in the minds of the Colossians. He goes on. Since you died with Christ, the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Now, remember, he's talking to Christians. He says, listen. You were once enslaved. When he talks about the elemental spiritual forces of the world, he's talking demons and Satan. You were once a part of all of that idolatry. You were once a part of all those addictions. You were once a part of all of that mess and junk out in the world that Satan keeps trying to entrap you in again. Why would you live like that again? Why would you fall for that again? See, on the, on the, side, the philosophy side of the, of the false teachers that he's dealing with, a lot of them are trying to entice them. Well, listen, come on, live it up the way you used to live it up. It's not a big deal to go up and, and be with a prostitute at an idol temple. It's not a big deal to have drunken orgies because, hey, none, nothing you do with your body matters. It's only about the spiritual. And so just, you know, whatever, whatever you want to do, do that. And there was an equal and opposite extreme, just as ungodly, that if you would just punish yourselves, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, if you would just punish yourselves and deprive yourselves, that will also work. And that doesn't work. That's false humility. It's, it's acting as though my strictness in, in, in a, an extreme version of self-denial and self-discipline will somehow please God. It's not that different from what you saw at Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18, when uh, Elijah goes and confronts the 400 prophets of Baal. They were up there trying to get their God to light the fire. That was the challenge. Whosoever God lights the fire wins. Okay, so we ought to think about that the next time we sing light the fire, because our God already won, right? But these 400 prophets of Baal are going at it and going at it and going at it. And all day long, they worshiped their God, their idol God, and they tried to get Baal to answer their prayer to send fire down from the heavens and light this fire. And they even got to a point, partly because their God isn't answering and partly because Elijah is kind of needling them. He says, what's wrong with your God? Where is Baal? Is he off taking a nap? My God doesn't sleep. Is your God taking a nap? Maybe you need to wake him up. Maybe you need to be a little bit louder. And they pound the drums even louder and yell even louder and blast the horns even louder. A friend of mine pointed out that the loudest worship service in the entire Bible was this idol worship service at Mount Carmel. And they're just going at it feverishly. And he says, what's wrong? Maybe he's not taking a nap. Maybe he's on the toilet. Go back and look. That's what it says. 
King James says maybe he's gone aside. Okay, that's proper British for maybe he's on the toilet. That's all that means. The Hebrew says so. And some children's Bibles even say that. First time I ever saw a best translation of that verse was in a children's Bible. He says maybe your God had to go to the bathroom. And so they get to a point to where they decide our God's not paying attention. Maybe if we cut ourselves. So they start cutting themselves. Maybe their own blood is what they need to get the false god Baal to answer their prayers. And of course, he doesn't because he can't because he simply is not God. Elijah goes up, has him pour water on the, on the fire and, or on the wood, and in a humble prayer, a truly humble prayer, simply asks God to show them who he is. God does. What Paul is saying, just like in that moment is, you can fake things to the false idea, the false God, and everything else, and you can make it look like a powerful religion. And let me tell you, Baal worship in Elijah's day was the most powerful religion in his neighborhood when it came to having people's devotion. But it was empty and it was false. And Paul says, listen, you've come to know Jesus. Why would you go back to stuff like that? Why would you fall for that stuff again? You know it doesn't work. You know it isn't right. You know it's empty. Why would you do that? And it's always full of rules. Hey, people talk about Christians having too many rules. But the truth is, there's rules in every false religion too. Some of them far, far, far harsher than things like don't lie. Like that's a, a big, ooh, harsh rule. You may find it hard to stick to, but it's what God calls us to. And it's not actually that hard. Instead, we like to focus in our idolatry on things that are more superficial. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Paul says these rules, while they have an appearance of wisdom, that's some translations, uh, they, they don't work. They don't work. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words, you'll never overcome the flesh simply by using superficial methods of the flesh. We know that's right. We see that all the time, don't we? Our world judges constantly and, and is, is forever trying to get people to bend to its rules. This comes out in a lot of ways, and it's not always religious, is it? Sometimes it's rules like how you should look, how you should appear. Maybe you need to have the right brands. Maybe you need to have the right, the right color. Maybe you need to have the right style. Maybe it, it's, you know, one year it is bell bottoms, one year it's not bell bottoms. I don't know, except that I know I'm not wearing them either way. Hey, I had Mr. Green Jean bell bottoms in the 1970s. But Paul just said, why, when you've been freed from that, would you go back and be enslaved again? I'm not doing it. But we had those standards. A way that this comes out, things like body shaming people, to the point to where that, that they will practice methods that are not that different from what these false teachers were teaching in order to meet a standard. It's where we get problems like anorexia and other eating disorders. Someone who is, is constantly judged by a merely human standard. You ought to look like this or this person or be this size. And you ought to have this kind of a cheekbone. And people do crazy, crazy things to themselves to try and meet this harsh, false 
standard of what a perfect person is supposed to look like. And it doesn't just have physical effects, does it? They do things that are really no different from the, the priest in the scarlet letter who beat himself with a whip to try and absolve his guilt for the sin of adultery. Only this person believes their sin is that they ate pizza and now they have to gag themselves and throw that up. Some of you may know what that's like. You may have struggled with that and maybe nobody knows. If so, you know, you know that that has a harsh treatment of the soul, not just the body. Because when we are given standards that are higher and different from God's to try and live up to, we don't make those any better than we do His. And the difference is, there's no grace out in the world, is there? None. So it drives people all kinds of things. It can be anorexia. It can be false religion. We have, uh, in some ways, done that, done that ourselves religiously. We have our, our own form of asceticism where the idea is that you get rid of anything that is too pleasurable for the body and for the person. And so you, you, because the less pleasurable it is, the, uh, the more holy it is. I know that we do that because I've been to some of our worship services that clearly were run that way. Because I'm telling you, they must have thought God was pleased with displeasure because they were baptized in vinegar and, and had lemon juice in the communion bread. It's terrible. Just, you know, kind of a terrible way to live. But we've been there, haven't we? In some ways, we still are. And I'm going to pick on us because I'd rather pick on us than pick on other people. Is that all right? Okay, so look around the room. Go ahead, look around the room. I'm not going to tell you where to look because it's not going to matter. Wherever you look, is there anything beautiful on the walls? Is there anything beautiful in a ceiling tile? How many of you have been in places of worship that were astoundingly beautiful to the point you were humbled? Anybody been there? Done that? Seen that? Was there ever a Church of Christ on the front of that sign? No, no. I've been to those places. And we could come up with all kinds of reasons from our heritage of why we don't. But the truth is it's because our, our church came formed out of, I'm still picking on my own people, came, came out of Scottish Reformation movements and then the Restoration Movement. And you know what you've never seen either? A strict Scottish Reformation church building with a tour guide. Because that's... That's, it looks like this. That's why. Only it's white because you don't even go with the color, whatever that is. I've, I've vomited that color. The, uh, but we, 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 we are scared to express ourselves even through art and beauty. And that's a form of, of asceticism. It's not a form of Christianity. God put those gifts into so many people to be able to express their, their awe at the beauty of the things that God has made. And we, we weed it out. It's a form of asceticism because we see it as more holy to be austere. That's the definition of asceticism in a building context. And we do that. Okay? I, how many of you, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I, I know the answer to this one. For a lot of you, how many of you have been a part of a church where you got rid of the stained glass because God forbid we have stained glass? And there'd be a little bit of color in the room. There was a movement, not just in churches of Christ, there was a movement in the more austere groups of Christians around the world to remove anything. And I understand that there was a reaction to icons and statues, and that's understandable. Okay, That's a scriptural debate that can be had. 
But man, we threw out the we threw out twelve babies with the bathwater on that one. It became very austere in the way that we do things, and we just now we do it because it's tradition. Then it was done because it was believed to be God's will. But have you ever noticed that when God actually made building plans, His building was decorated? Isn't that something? His building was beautiful by His own instruction. Think about that. Go back, read the Old Testament, and, and check it out. It's there, and it's interesting that we've overcorrected against so much that that we're we're holier than God in our austerity, and that's a that's a it's a form of false humility. We're just we're not even going to get close to the line because it's a form of Phariseeism in a way. We've, we've fallen for that trap. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, do not decorate. It's all in there in the same idea. And he says, don't, don't be judged by standards like that. Don't be judged by appearances because God doesn't judge by appearances. Don't be judged by how religious you look by keeping traditions. Instead, be like Jesus. That's what he's arguing. The other thing that he tells them to deal with is don't let anybody disqualify you. Now, this picture is a little bit tricky. This is obviously from the recent Olympics in ice skating, and this is from one of the, the uh, qualifying heats, and the guy in red was disqualified. And the, the word here that Paul uses is actually an athletic word about don't let anybody disqualify you, trip you up, or, or tell you that you're not worthy of the race. Don't let anybody tell you that. You have all by Christ's blood been made worthy of the race that we are in. He calls us to run this race, and no one else should be the point of our disqualifying, should it? Now, what's tricky about this picture is what often happens to us. This guy actually did this. He fell twice trying to qualify. The first time they tried to do this, this qualifying heat, and they actually restarted it and redid it because he fell so soon in that they were like, ah, let's give him another shot. I didn't even know they did that in the Olympics. They said, let's give him another shot. So they let him do it again. And you know what they realized the second time? And then when they looked at the video of both times, this guy isn't tripping because of bad ice or bad skates or anything like that. He's not tripping because, you know, in this picture, you kind of wondered either these guys trip him up, push him over or whatever. He is trying to push down the guy from Japan over here. He's fallen because he's trying to fight dirty, play dirty. And so he keeps tripping up and disqualifying himself. What Paul says is, you're this guy over here. You're like the Japanese skater. Don't you let somebody push you down. You just let them fall on their own face. That's not really where he fell, but we're going to be nice this time. But you, let, you just let them fall on their own. You don't let them disqualify you because of what they're trying to draw you into. People are going to kick. They're going to push. They're going to fight. They're going to try and, and, and trip you up, in this case, with false teaching and really bad focus. They're going to try and get you to be involved in things that you should not be. Don't let them do it. You keep skating on. And these other two did. They didn't push back. They didn't get involved in anything where it could be a takes two to tango kind of a fight. They kept their focus and they weren't disqualified by the cheater in the middle. And that's what Paul wants us to remember too. So look at these two verses where he says this. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God calls it to grow. Don't let somebody get you off the mark by bringing a bunch of crazy ideas 
that it is really, in the end, about their own false humility. They may try to convince you that their way is the right way. Don't do it. Because all they're trying to do is, is cause you to be disqualified as they are. They've got their own agenda, and it's not God's agenda. Keep your eyes on Jesus. His third and last warning is this one, straight out of Gilligan's Island. Don't let anybody enslave you again. We were talking about this. When you Google for Gilligan's Island and quicksand, you find several episodes. You know why you find several episodes? Because they didn't have the book of Colossians on that deserted island, apparently. They'd have known. They'd have known. Stop jumping in the quicksand. Don't go in there. But they kept going. And this time, you know, Skipper's in there and he's trying to save him. And that's not going to work very well. You know how that ends up, right? But we are so bad about this, aren't we? Shortcuts is the problem that we fall into. We think that if, and this is the appeal of number two as well, in false humility and being superficial about our faith and our religion and just trying to do the things that will get people to think we're something we know deep down we're not, shortcuts. And so we, we try to just play the religion game instead of the actual transformation that Christ calls us to. We try to say the right things, be it just enough of the right places to where people will think we're spiritual. But we don't have a prayer life. We don't have a life in the Word of God. And if people were to talk about what we're like on, during half the week, spiritual is not the word they'd use. Paul says don't be enslaved to that shortcut life again where you play at religion but are experts at falling for Satan's traps. Don't do it. That is a trap. For the Judaizers, the trap was that they could do the, 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 the fake religion of just keeping enough that people thought they were something that they really weren't actually living out. And on the other side, it was things that would build up their own spiritual pride and that they were, they were really too enlightened to get involved in the, the petty Christianity that most Christians do. They had grown beyond. And we see both those things. Not out in the world. I, we see both these things right here sometimes. We still fall for these traps. He says, since you died with Christ, the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belonged, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch. All destined to perish with use. They are merely based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their false treat- or the harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Because they just... Don't work. Just don't work. Don't fall for anything less than Jesus. Because He is the right way. So, now we're going to look at the most excellent way. You can't say excellent without thinking of of Wayne's world if you're in my generation. So there you are. The the most excellent way. That's what Paul says at the end of chapter 12 uh, in 1 Corinthians. And we all know 1 Corinthians 13. We kind of lop off his introduction, which is, if you really want to know how to live, this is it. And it's not false religion. It's not going to be uh, strict adherence to just one, two, three kick kind of religion. It's going to be becoming like Jesus. We've done this exercise before where we look at, at what Paul says about love in 1 Corinthians 13. And, and people will tell you, well, put your own name in there and see if it measures up. Well, the problem with that is we know it doesn't measure up. 
Okay? We look at what love is and we look at ourselves and we don't have to put our name in there to know that it doesn't measure up. I want to look at it kind of a different way. I want to put somebody else's name in there who's gotten it right. One observation before we do that. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the right to the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I've said it for a long, long time, longer than I've known you. Pronouns tell the story. Do you see what Paul did? Doesn't he expose our hearts with the pronouns here? I should say pronoun because he only used one. In four verses, eight times, I. If I speak in tongues, I am only a resounding gong. If I have the gift of prophecy, I have faith that can move mountains. I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor. And filter some of those out. Filter out the ones he has as a rebuttal to what we might say. And look at what he says we might brag about. And doesn't it sound like what he was warning the Colossians about? A false humility bathed in pride. If I can speak in tongues, wow, Jesus has blessed me. The Holy Spirit thinks I'm great. And if you can't, you must not be as good to God as I am. That's kind of like wearing the humble thing, isn't it? God loves me so much because I'm so spiritual that He's blessed me more than He's blessed you. That's not the way it works, is it? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the real humble, the actual humble. Yet if we were saying, well, if I speak in tongues, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I give all I possess to the poor, if I give my body over to hardship, if I, if I, if I. And so often the church is undermined by folks who only seem to know about the I. I want to do this. I wanted to do that. I was doing this. I was doing that. I, 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 I. If you start to sound in all of your prayers, if you start to sound in all of your complaints, like Ricky Ricardo when he's mad, I, 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 I. You know that you're not being with Jesus in that moment, don't you? Don't we? That's really what Paul's saying here. You've got to get over yourself. It was never about you. Never about you. That may be the hardest lesson we learn as we grow up. And some of us don't ever grow up, and we wear that as a badge of honor. In Jesus, it's never a badge of honor to say you never grew up. It's something you mourn. It's a loss. It's a win in the Satan column to be a child in a man's body, an immature brat in a woman's body. It's never okay. I, 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 I. That's where that will lead us. So we look to the standard who is Jesus, and we follow him instead. We don't have to worry about all all the different things people are hawking or the standards by which people may judge us that are really just worldly standards bathed in a false religion. We look to Jesus. Jesus is patient. Can we learn from him in that? Jesus is kind. Couldn't we be more like him in that? Jesus does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. Wouldn't he have a reason to be? Yet that was never his his, his motive Never his standard operating procedure. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrong. Aren't you glad? Because he's the one who actually sees it all. No record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, 
always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And Jesus never fails. False religion does. Human standards do. Traditions come and go. Standards that are superficial will change with the wind of fashion, no matter what they are. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus is love. And that's the life He calls us to. And any thought process, whether bathed in our faith or not, that doesn't look like this, Paul says, give it the boot. It's not real. Don't be enslaved again to all that selfishness. Go back to who Jesus is. Let Him guide you because He is the one that holds it all together and causes you to grow. Just spending time with Him if He's like this is going to call us to growth, isn't it? If you need to spend your life with Jesus and your eternity with Jesus, and maybe this is your time where you get up and confess His name and are baptized. Maybe this is a day when you need prayers. Maybe you realize, you know what? I don't know what I've been chasing, but it wasn't Jesus because it didn't sound like that at all. And that's where I want to be. We'll pray with you. If you need to go to the back and pray with somebody in private, we'll do that too.